As we dive into God's word and get into the sermon this morning, if you would just pray with me. Uh, Dear Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your house and and worship with you. Uh, Lord, as we dive into your word today and uh, we tackle the difficult uh, topic of forgiveness, and um, we know that there's been ways that we've been hurt uh, by others and ways that we've hurt others, and uh, sometimes forgiveness can be instant, sometimes it is a long process. So Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us. during this, that your word would speak to us, that it wouldn't be me, myself, but it would be your word and your Holy Spirit working in each of us, um, and that we would uh, learn and take something from this morning. So we love you, Lord. We praise things in your name. Amen. So uh, this morning, I had the opportunity to kind of think about what I would like to share with you all, and I kept coming back to something that uh, I feel like I've been really wrestling with, something that's been difficult and challenging for me, but also something that God has been teaching me a lot about over the last year or two. So what I'd like to share with you this morning is about forgiveness, specifically forgiving other people who have wronged you. And life experience quickly tells us why this is a relevant topic, because uh, if you're a human being, which I believe most of you are, um, I can guarantee you two things. One, you've been wronged by someone else. Likely you've been wronged by many other people, and it can hurt. But also, two, you've wronged someone else. And if you're honest with yourself, you've likely wronged many other people, and they've at times been hurt by you. And as a pastor and at times someone who has counseled and mediated others through conflict, I've likely heard every excuse given, maybe not everyone, but why someone can't forgive someone else. If I'm honest, I've used some of these same excuses myself uh, to rationalize me harboring my bitterness or resentment to a person. And the reasons that, uh, like I said, I use myself, things like I just can't forgive them until they truly or properly apologize, right? I just can't forgive them until they truly apologize. This, you know, for, for joking, I think we have like a scorecard. It's like, well, I saw like seven tears and their, their voice cracked twice. So I guess that was, that was a proper, that was a proper apology, but uh, they had to really mean it. Or they might have the excuse, you just don't understand what they did to me. I'll never forgive them. Or they just hurt me so much. I've tried, but I just can't forgive them for what they did. Or until they change, they aren't worthy of my forgiveness. Or they said they were sorry, but I don't think they really meant it. Um, They're going to do it again. They weren't sorrowful enough. And C.S. Lewis commented on the fact that when we hurt Another person, we tend to credit it to their oversensitivity or their oversensitive feelings, but we, when we ourselves are wronged, uh, we tend to exaggerate our own hurt and the evil of our offender. Uh, Lewis says of this, in our own case, we accept excuses too easily. In other people's, we do not accept them easily enough. As regards my own sins, it is a safe bet that the excuses are not really as good as I think they are. As regards to other men's sins against me, it is a safe bet that the excuses are actually better than I think. 
And this actually brings me to my key point this morning, and actually my only point this morning. Commonly, you'll listen to a three-point sermon or a five-point sermon. Well, I'm keeping it real simple for all of us this morning. I have a one-point sermon, and it is this. My one-point sermon is forgiveness is a commandment. Forgiving others is a commandment of God. Uh, said another way, uh, forgiving others who have wronged us is not an optional thing we do if we feel like forgiving them or if we feel like they've met our demands and they deserve to be forgiven. Instead, it is a choice we make to be obedient to, in response of God's commandment. So as we dive into God's word, we are going to jump around to a few different Bible passages this morning. But the first one which you can open up to is likely very familiar to all of us. It is the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter 6. So as you open up to that, in fact, it was just a few months ago on April 16th during our Power of Prayer sermon series here at Maple Plain that Pastor Dominic taught on the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. And there's so much to glean from this section of Scripture. So if you want some great teaching on the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to go back and listen to that on YouTube or Spotify. But this morning, I'm just going to zero in and focus on the important aspect of forgiveness found in the Lord's Prayer. So if you would, open up to Matthew 6. Uh, We'll start at verse 9 through 15. The verses will also be on the side screen if you want to follow along, and we'll read together here. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So again, there's so much to glean from this entirety of the Lord's Prayer, but I'm just going to focus on two, uh, three of the verses here. First is verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, the first clause here, and forgive us our debts, well, that isn't so bad, right? In fact, that's amazing. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. We just need to pray and receive that forgiveness. And of course, this does take uh, humility and an emptying of our pride to realize that we are guilty before an all-holy God. And this prayer teaches us that we need to ask for and pray for God to forgive us. Uh, We all owe God a debt that we can never repay on our own. But the good news of the gospel is summarized well in many different verses, but one I picked here is Ephesians 1.7. It says, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So when we ask God to forgive our debts, we freely receive the kindness and grace of God. So personally for me, it's actually the second part of verse 12 uh, that is harder for me to live out as we also have forgiven our debtors or as some might know it better as we forgive those that trespass against us. In uh, in fact, St. Augustine, uh, St. Augustine, he called this verse the terrible petition uh, because he realized that if we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, Um, but we pray that with an unforgiving heart, we are actually asking God to not forgive us. 
Charles Spurgeon bluntly stated, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. This concept extends to verses 14 and 15, which aren't any easier to digest. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, Go back again to something C.S. Lewis wrote of this passage. He wrote, no part of Jesus' teaching is clear, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins provided they are not too frightful or provided there aren't extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. In case you perhaps thought Jesus was simply being overly dramatic here to drive home a point, uh, he actually repeats this teaching in his famous parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew 18. So if you want to just flip forward a few chapters to Matthew 18, uh, for time purposes, we won't read the entire parable here, but we're just the beginning and the end. So this is Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. And I'll just read the first two verses at the start of the parable. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Just then, Jesus uh, goes in to tell a powerful parable, and I'm just going to summarize it here for you. It's uh, of a man who is forgiven a massive 10,000 talent debt by his king. Right? So it's a, a, a debt he could never work off in his lifetime, never repay on his own. Um, but then that same man who was just forgiven that 10,000 talent debt by the king, uh, he, he goes and he refuses to forgive his own servant a mere 100 denarii debt. So he was forgiven this huge massive debt, but then he wouldn't forgive his servant a small 100 denarii debt. And the king ends ends up finding out about this at the end of the parable, and it ends with this terrifying warning starting at verse 32. So if you want to jump down to verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. This is the servant who was just uh, forgiven the uh, 10,000 talent debt and then wouldn't forgive his own servant a 100 denarii debt. And the king says, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured unless he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus ends, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You can see the similarities here in Jesus' teaching. Matthew 18.35 says, This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. That's very similar to Matthew 6.15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will for not forgive your sins. Uh, similarly, Matthew 18.33, Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That echoes the teaching of Jesus in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5.7 when it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And these are hard sayings, no doubt. Uh, But here's the thing. I do want to clarify that it would be wrong to make this into the idea that unforgiveness itself is an unforgivable sin. right? I think it's a better understanding of what Jesus is saying here to, to say that forgiveness, forgiving others, is evidence that we have truly been forgiven. 
right? That, and then if we have habitual unforgiveness, it may show that a person's heart has never actually been touched by the love of Jesus. So I'll say that again. Forgiving others is evidence of being truly forgiven. And habitual unforgiveness may show that a person's heart has never really been touched by the love of Jesus. See, the principle Jesus is teaching in this parable is crystal clear. It's that God has forgiven us of such a great debt that any debt owed to us by another person is absolutely insignificant in comparison, right? No man can possibly offend me to the extent that my sins have offended God. We need to remember that and apply that in the little grievances done to us by other people as well as the great grievances done to us by other people. Since we as Christians have been forgiven so much, we have no right to withhold forgiveness from others. We are the debtor that has been forgiven an almost infinite 10,000 talent debt, but are we going to hold on to the small debts that others owe us? If anyone had a right to withhold forgiveness, it is God. But God gives uh, forgiveness more freely and completely than anyone else we ever know. So what possible right do we have to hold on to our unforgiveness? The commentator Kent Hughes uh, pretty bluntly put it this way. It says, when God's grace comes into our hearts, it makes us forgiving. So if I then refuse to forgive, there's only one reason. I am outside grace and I myself unforgiven. These hard words need to be heard by the religious person who can state all the answers, who attends church, who leads an outwardly moral life, but who holds a death grip on his grudges. He will not forgive his relatives for some small infraction. He has no desire to pardon his former business associate. He nourishes hatreds, cherishes animosities, revels in malice. Such people had better take an honest inventory of their lives and see if they really know Jesus. Now, those are hard words. And I, I want to stop and clarify that there is a difference between someone who is struggling with forgiveness, someone who is struggling with the act of forgiving another person and someone who just simply has no desire to ever forgive, right? And there's a lot of different situations that we can run into in life, but there may be some who have just recently been offended, right? And you're still in emotional shock and you have not been able to properly respond with forgiveness, right? So there's different situations. Also, um, I want to recognize there are some that have suffered trauma, grief, abuse, situations that absolutely will take a lot of time counseling, support, and prayer. And God, but I believe in all situations, God's desire for us is that we pursue forgiveness. See, God is both the example of how we should forgive, but also the one demanding it of us. I said earlier, my one point is that forgiving others is a commandment. It's not optional. Uh, check out these verses, which will also be on the side screen. Uh, Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Pretty clear there, forgive others, that's your commandment. As the Lord forgave you, that's your example. So how does God forgive us, right? That's our example. He forgives us freely, totally, and completely without finding fault. That is our example of how we should forgive other people. Ephesians 4.32 is very similar. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Same thing here. Forgive each other. That's your commandment. Just as in Christ God forgave you. That is our example. In my conversations with people about this, primarily it's been students, 
uh, there are generally two stumbling blocks people have when it comes to the idea that forgiving others is a commandment. Uh, The first stumbling block people have is they incorrectly associate forgiveness with just an emotional feeling. Or maybe uh, in the uh, case of forgiveness, it's the absence of a negative emotional feeling. And then the second is that people can be confused about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So I'm going to tackle each of those ideas here real quick. So first, I would say I agree. I think it would be quite odd if God commanded an emotional feeling from us, right? Some people wrongly attribute forgiveness as an emotional feeling, just like they might attribute love to be an emotional feeling, right? But in John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another, right? God, uh, Jesus is commanding of us love. He says, as I, as, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So how can God command love? Well, it's because love should not be solely based on how we feel. Love is much more than a gushy, gooey, goosebump type feeling. It's much more than just positive emotional feelings towards someone. Instead, we know that love is a decision. It's a commitment. It's a choice we make. It's something you choose to do whether you feel that way or not. Right? If wedding vows were just, I'll love you until my positive feelings fade, <laughs> then that wouldn't be very romantic. Instead, it's the commitment part of love. It's the unconditional love that makes wedding vows romantic for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness or health until death do us part. You see, we understand that love is a choice we continually make, not just a feeling. Similarly, I believe forgiveness is actually a choice. That's why it's something God can command of us. And it actually, this is something that might be a little difficult to grasp at first, it actually isn't dependent at all on the other person. So let me explain. Uh, I believe there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and why God can command forgiveness but does not command of us reconciliation with another person. So uh, there's the definitions will be on the side screen here, but forgiveness, I believe, is a choice of your will to not allow anyone to control your emotional well-being except for God. I'm going to read that again because I think it's really important. Forgiveness is a choice of your will to not allow anyone to control your emotional well-being except for God. So you are canceling, in forgiveness, you are canceling your offender's debt and letting go of the negative emotions you have associated with that person. Forgiveness is a deliberate act of love, mercy, and grace. Forgiveness is a decision not to hold something against another person, despite what that person has done to you. It is a private, vertical act. That's why there's that arrow there between you and God. So it actually has nothing to do with the person who hurt you in the past. When you are dealing with the person who has hurt you in the past, when you're dealing with your offender, that is reconciliation. And reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. It's a horizontal act between two people, right? Um, So forgiveness is a vertical act between uh, you and God, and reconciliation is a horizontal act between you and your offender. And I believe both are choices that we make. Uh, Forgiveness, though, is a choice we make to behave in a manner Uh, that God has commanded of us, while reconciliation is a choice that we make on our own. 
I've heard it explained this way. Forgiveness is canceling the debt that someone else owes us, while reconciliation is going back into business with that person. God is commanding us to cancel the debt, but he's not necessarily commanding us to go back into business with that person. And I could use uh, hundreds of examples here, and I was thinking about, like, what's an easy example I could use to explain this? Um, And I'm going to use one that's very common in the world of teenagers. (laughs) Maybe it's common in adults as well, but it's very common in the world of teenagers. So this is a hypothetical example to break this down. But let's say uh, I share something confidential with a friend who I trust. So I share something confidential with a friend that I trust. Unfortunately, that friend breaks my trust and uses that information that I shared with them to gossip about me to others, and it comes back to me and I find out about it. I find out that my friend broke my trust and is sharing this information with people I did not want it to be shared with. Well, I'm obviously hurt and upset in that situation. So what does forgiveness look like in this situation? Well, it actually doesn't involve me going to that other person. Instead, it's me going to God with my hurt in prayer, right? And as I go to God with my hurt, I remember that Jesus died for my offender and loves my offender just like he died for me and loves me. And hopefully over that course of the Holy Spirit working in us and in that time of prayer, I start to see that person through God's eyes the way that God sees me. I recognize that maybe they are not so much of a monster, and over time I'm able to let go of what that person did to me and choose to no longer harbor bitterness or resentment in my heart. And when that has happened, forgiveness has occurred. Using the example of how God has forgiven us, I'm able to forgive that other person. You see, it was a private, vertical act between me and God. It didn't require that person who broke my trust to necessarily do anything. Like, they didn't have to do a proper apology or a change of behavior. Would have that helped? Yeah, it probably would have helped. But it doesn't necessarily require that. But with that same friend, would I choose to share confidential information with them again? In other words, would I go back into business with that same friend? Well, not necessarily. Right? That would require reconciliation or a restored relationship. This is now a horizontal act between two people, and it requires both people, me and the person who shared information, to come to the table. Reconciliation is bringing a cord out of discord between two parties. And in this example, while I've forgiven them, um, I don't know for sure you know, if reconciliation would happen. I think it might take that the other person would recognize how I was hurt and that my trust was broken, It might take some change or intentional actions by the other person to earn my trust back before I ever was felt willing to share information with them again. So you might be thinking, but Phil, that's a pretty like kind of minor example from the world of teenagers. In my real life situation, you just don't understand what my offender did to me. I'll never forgive them. And you are right. I have not walked in your shoes. I have not felt what you felt, and I didn't experience what you experienced. But I believe that God's desire for your heart is forgiveness. It may take a lot of time. It might be that reconciliation in this case just isn't ever possible, or, or perhaps God, uh, God will use forgiveness as the first step in a long journey towards eventual reconciliation. God will use that pursuit of forgiveness you have to work in ways that you previously thought 
were impossible. I've heard it said before, and I agree with it, that not forgiving someone is like trying to hurt somebody else by drinking poison yourself. In the end, poison the poison is only killing you. Sometimes, in fact, they might not even know or be oblivious to the fact that you're struggling to forgive them, so you are harboring some longstanding resentment, uh, and the other person doesn't even know you have it. I've also heard it said that forgiveness is like holding a prisoner. If you are able to decide out of your own free will to set the prisoner free, you discover that the prisoner set free was actually yourself. So who do you need to forgive? Is it a parent, a family member, an employer, a neighbor, a church member? Are you maybe perhaps your own biggest critic and you need to forgive yourself and see yourself the way that God sees you? Just like love, forgiveness is not primarily a feeling. It is a step of faith you take, a response to God's command. You are being obedient, so you choose to forgive. So think about that in your heart for a minute. Who do you need to forgive? And my second question for you all is, when is the last time you yourself apologized? You said to someone else, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Now, can I suggest that it's been, if it's been a while since you've apologized to someone, it's not because you have never blown it recently. You may have just been too proud to admit it. To humble yourself and apologize, it's a strength, not a weakness. Only the strong can afford to apologize and can afford to humble themselves in that way. This is generous forgiveness, right? This is the example that Christ Jesus sets out for us. You don't forgive somebody because they deserve it. You forgive them because you yourself are greatly forgiven. This is treating others the way that Jesus treats you. I'm going to invite up Pastor Chris here in a moment as we transition into a time of communion. And I think this is a more than fitting way to uh, end out our morning because in communion, we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made to reconcile us to God. His blood was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Despite no fault on God's end, he initiated the conciliatory process and reached out to sinners. Romans 5.10 says it this way, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So let's remember that together as we do communion this morning.